0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Ormark on the World Show. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe, and our guest today is Richard Kincaid. Richard is the uh, founder and the managing member of Sage Green Life, uh, an amazing organization, a company that is selling living walls. Uh, you've got to stick around for this one. You don't want to miss this episode.
1: Welcome to Your Mark on the World, bringing you another changemaker with champion of social good, Devin D. Thorpe.
0: Richard, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Devin. Happy to be here.
0: We're, we're thrilled to have you and excited to talk to you today about uh, Sage Dream Life, uh, I've seen uh, some of the images of the things that you're doing. Uh, really, truly beautiful living walls. The, it's just stunning. Uh, tell us a little bit about the the technology and the application that uh,
2: you're able to achieve with uh, with your walls. Yeah, I think the the our system our system was designed to address some of the issues that people had with early living walls. And the biggest issue people had was soil and gravity, right? So you wouldn't get enough water at the top, too much water at the bottom. And really with, with our system it being a, a rock wall, which is a basalt rock that's melted down like cotton candy, um, it is incredibly absorbent. It doesn't change temperature for a uh, change size for temperature. So it allows these modular tiles to be used where the moisture stays the same. And so what this really allowed you to start to do, and then with the advent of LED plant lights was, for the first time, you can put these vertical living walls anywhere, inside, outside, because the material also protects the roots. So we have a huge wall in Chicago that's the biggest wall this far north. Uh, And so what I loved about it is to see it open up the possibility of plants and flowers everywhere.
0: Wow, it, it, it just is uh, spectacular. Now, one of the interesting things you do with the walls is to incorporate advertising in some. How does that
2: work? Yeah, our original premise really was that there was this authentic desire for sustainability, certainly from consumers, and that as advertising got fragmented that and, try, and, and consumers tried to tune everything out, that the advertisers would need to give them something they wanted to see. So we got a patent on embedding media in Vertical Gardens, and our thinking was for brands that want to make an authentic statement, you can message, you're going to have crown signage, but you're going to give customers something they want to see, uh, which is certainly not the case with a lot of -of out-of-home advertising. That's for sure, that's for sure. So uh, who are your primary customers
0: for the living walls today? and What kind of budget are they usually working with?
2: So we have a wide range of customers as this industry's really started to grow. So we target architects, interior designers, because they are the ones building plans to create these wonderful environments. But we're seeing a lot of end user demand. Um, I'd say what's driven the biggest change in the market has been uh, people realizing on the corporate side, employee side, that a better work environment, the marginal cost of obtaining that is nothing compared to uh, increased retention and just being able to attract uh, and and really get talent. And I think so combination of people looking for sustainability, uh, people looking for better environments. So you start to see that coming from uh, big corporates, you see it from certainly tech companies, and you see it coming from uh, an awful lot of the architect and design space, trying to figure out how they can utilize these tools. Huge change, actually, Devon, in I'd say the last two, two and a half years.
0: Well, it is exciting to see this new development. One of the things that seems to be driving this, of course, is the overall green movement towards sustainability and the increasing awareness and passion for that but one of the ways that manifests is in the uh, now external incentives uh, for doing these kinds of things Uh, wellness and green credits that you might get from ratings organizations like LEEDs. Uh, how is that factoring in and how do you work with that and what kind of credits are you seeing and what does it mean?
2: Well, you, you, the Leeds is interesting because leads started in 2000 and you fast forward 17 years, there's now over 17 billion square feet and 2.2 million square feet added a day. So leads for the built environment's kind of been a minimum and all of our walls get leads credits for air quality, sound, innovation and water efficiency. The second part that has really grown in more recently, last couple years, is the wellness movement. So they've kind of gone from the built environment to the environment where people live and work. And that's also, we get credits for air quality, but the whole wellness movement is air quality, water, uh, food, uh, mindfulness, innovation, and I think it has the same sort of trajectory that, that Leeds had. So you're seeing some early adopters with these wellness uh, programs, fitness being another one. And what you've seen is corporations are figuring out, number one, they can actually save a lot of money on health care. Uh, they can reduce uh, absenteeism. And it's just come together between the green movement, the Leeds movement, the wellness movement, where you're seeing this all get built into much, much more interesting, better, collaborative, healthier uh, environments. So um, we'll see if if wellness leads to the same amount of adoption as leads, but it's certainly off to a big start. Well,
0: this is really, I think, an important part of the the business model for you uh, because the corporation's Often, now, you know, some are very forward-thinking, right? And I suspect most of your customers today are of that variety, very forward-thinking. But, but the big mass of companies that will be adopting this will do it in, in large part because of external incentives and pressure from uh, folks like that, or or uh, incentives. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how how that shakes out, but. Um, you got an interesting start in this green space, it seems to me, because of your work in real estate, where you saw the evolution toward greener buildings. Tell us a little bit about your experience.
2: Yeah, I was in commercial real estate for uh, working for Sam Zell for 17 years, uh, really at Equity Office, which was the largest office company in the world. Uh, so I was the CFO, the COO, and ultimately the CEO. And I think what's interesting is you saw the, the, the tenants in those buildings go from trying to cram people in ever smaller spaces and evolving towards this this better, more collaborative, sort of a more nurturing uh, environment. And it started with certainly technology companies. We built the headquarters for electronic arts. And this is a long time ago. This must have been – 2002 or something but I meant remember going out there and looking at this space and what they did with it and I was just amazed it was just they had breakout rooms with foosball tables and all kinds of gaming and great food and soccer fields and I just looked at that and went this is an extraordinary environment and the and their comment was yeah because we need the best game engineers we can get and we want to make them to be productive and happy so at that time, that was an anomaly. At this time, that's starting to be just how interior spaces are designed, and it's kind of hard to overstate the change. The second big manifestation in that is that, you know, the corporate real estate person used to always report to the CFO because it was always about cost, 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 cost. Now, more often than not, corporate real estate's reporting to H.R., and so you're just seeing the trend. And I think part of it is the realization that employees are having, which is a demographic labor shortage, and it isn't going away. And so in that war for talent, particularly started in technology because you had to have developers and engineers, but the war for talent, you're going to have to adapt. Uh, there's certainly the, the millennials already, a third of the workforce. They're just not going to work in those Dilbert-esque cube farms. They're just not. So the people that are ahead um, are going to end up attracting, retaining the best people, and the people that don't adjust will be left behind.
0: Uh, This is uh, uh, an interesting time. Uh, This new generation that's uh, coming up behind the two of us uh, uh, is really changing a lot about uh, uh, corporate America, I think. And uh, I can't think of... uh, a much better uh, compliment to that generation than to uh, think about bringing in the, the living walls that you're creating. Uh, can you describe for us, and I realize that uh, it, it may be difficult without the benefit of pictures, but maybe you could send me one we can add to the article, but uh, describe some of the m- more stunning projects, the projects you're most proud of.
2: Um. You know, there have been some um, incredible a- installations. One that comes to mind is in the uh, Museum of Science in Boston. I-, I also think the outdoor wall on the Apple Store in San Francisco is spectacular, 3,500 square feet. Um, what we're seeing happenin- happening is people are starting to – think about these living walls as part of the architecture, and so we're seeing bigger installations, and if you think about it, it makes sense, because if you're putting a living wall in, you're replacing something else, so if it's in a lobby, you may be putting a living wall replacing granite, and so it's how fast that's getting adopted. On the inside, what we're seeing is uh, we're just doing an install tomorrow with Snapchat here in Chicago, and it's another stunning wall trimmed out in old, like, distressed farm wood. And uh, and so, you know, I've seen so many of them, and I think the beauty of the system is the modularity, right? So in the hands of somebody creative, it's basically Legos and an erector set. You can kind of construct what you want to. And so I think what's what's fascinating is these talented architects, designers, figuring it out, and they're doing just – truly amazing installations and this thing has a useful life of 15 20 years so um and i'm proud of a lot of them and i'm i'm just seeing what i think is people scratch the surface with how they can be built into space not an afterthought but a forethought right and and that to me is going to be where you really start to see things getting adopted and uh it obviously reduces the cost because you're replacing something else and yeah. I, and the, the other last thing I'd say to you, it's a weird thing to say, but, you know, from my other technology firms, there's a very interesting network effect with this business, whereas uh, the more installations we get, just the more business that we get. And I think, um, hopeful that continues. Yeah, uh,
0: I, I imagine it will. Uh, you've got some unique technology and they are stunning products. The, um, uh, You know, a lot of people look up to you. You've had such a successful career. You've made such uh, accomplished so much. Who do you look up to as a role model?
2: I I have to say that I am incredibly, I have an incredible admiration for Sam Zell. You know, I worked for him for 17 years and I worked with him in so many different situations. So like the depth of the recession in the late 80s and the early 90s, where it was extraordinary pressure to taking all these companies public before anybody else did with the modern REIT to just literally billions of dollars of deals. And what I realized about Sam later is how much that culture has impacted me and what I do with all my businesses now. It was it was a very flat organization before anybody did that. It was casual before anybody was casual. It was a, a legitimate meritocracy, and I am the biggest example of that, right? I grew up in a little town in Kansas. I graduated from Wichita State University. I went to the University of Texas, and as long as I could like perform with Sam, you could go anywhere. But, but the last thing I'd say is you, know, you kind of get to meet a few people that are just wired differently. And Sam's one of those guys from an investment perspective that just sees these trends so clearly before anybody else does. Uh, and I've just seen him do it time and time and time again. When you realize when you've been in business long enough, there are a couple of those people every generation that just, they're wired differently. And I'd always, we'd all laugh, we'd go into these meetings with Sam, we'd have all these recommendations, and he'd take them and turn them like an eighth of an inch, and we'd be like, why didn't we think of that? But that's, uh, so I really admire him, and it's interesting, the distance from when I've worked there, I realize how much of him culturally I try to bring to my organizations without even thinking about it.
0: Now that is an interesting perspective on Sam Zell. I certainly one I hadn't heard before, and I appreciate you sharing that. You obviously are extremely capable. You talked about uh, the meritocracy in which you succeeded, but I'm wondering why, with the capability you have, and an ocean in front of you, you know, an ocean of opportunities, why you've chosen to pursue uh, the this green sustainability space?
2: Well, when we sold Equity Office in 2007, um, I had a very sort of important choice to make. I could jump back into, you know, the corporate arena and the real estate arena, or I could try to do something different. And I made a deliberate choice to not get so wrapped up in that. and I started my foundation, started to do a lot of not-for-profit work, and I started to try to look to do some businesses that could be profitable, but that could also just improve just improve the common good. And I felt from the very beginning with that, with Sage Green Life that wouldn't it be a wonderful thing to have technology so you can have nature in all these urban areas? And you are legitimately improving air quality and reducing pollution, and you're legitimately creating environments that are more productive. And so it sort of falls into that category of uh, hopefully doing something that improves, just improves the world a little bit. So, um, you know, I mean it's easy when you're playing at that level to get wrapped into that and and it was incredible, but 17 years, and you know, I had little kids at that time, and I missed a lot. So I made a deliberate choice to do more in the not-for-profit world and try to find some businesses that can hopefully just make things a little bit better after uh, once you're done. Uh, I think it's a, an inspiring response.
0: Now, Richard, what is your superpower?
2: You know, I look back at my career and say, so what was it? I think what I, what I, what I'm really good at is problem solving. So figuring out what the issue is and how to get stuff done. Um, And I will say these early stage and this company particularly has been incredibly challenging because think about this business. There was no industry, so we had no price transparency, no products really five six years ago, and so it's been a series of steps forward, coming back, revisiting, prototyping, trying to reduce costs, trying to create a reason. And when we first started, people were like, "Well, they're pretty, but why would I want one?" Now we've moved it over to the point where you don't even, you're not even you're not even having to answer that question. So, but I think that ability to sit down and re- regroup and solve a problem, figure out how to keep things moving forward is really the one thing that uh, I would say I'd best have. Oh, that's
0: great. Great skill. I need to develop that. Now, uh, Richard... I had no choice, but I had to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Richard, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Before you go, please tell people how they can uh, learn more about uh, sage green living
2: uh, life, excuse me, sage green life, and how they can connect with you personally. So I would uh, say go to sagegreenlife.com, www.sagegreenlife.com, and you can contact us there. Uh, You can also, if you really want specific information, you can call us at 312-234-9655. And it is worth checking out the website because it's just filled with beautiful gardens. So, again, thank you for all the time today, Devin. It's been been my pleasure to, to be here.
0: Thank you. And we wish you every success in making America's offices more beautiful and more healthy. Thank you. All righty. Let's do some good.
1: Thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded via Google Hangouts on air and is available at youtube.com forward slash Subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher or iTunes by searching for your mark on the world. Every weekday, Devin hosts a CEO, celebrity, entrepreneur or other change maker here on the Your Mark on the World show to inspire and prepare you to make your mark. Devin is a champion of social good, writing about, advocating for and advising people who are doing good. He is a Forbes contributor who is a recognized thought leader in social entrepreneurship, impact investing and crowdfunding. To book Devin as a speaker, visit devinthorpe.com. Learn more about Devin's work at yourmarkontheworld.com.